all that Jesus is and has done and promises to be. Um, Today we're going to look at Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12 on this third Sunday of Advent. And um, one of the things that Advent does for us is it should move us um, to slow down and to stop and to worship. I know it's hard because a lot of life is pushing us to speed up. But one of the things Advent hopefully should do is move us to stop and to slow down and to worship. And so it's appropriate that we're looking at Matthew 2 because uh, this passage about the, the wise men, the magi from the east, is all about worship. So listen to God as I read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's, it's printed in your order of worship. Listen to God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make your presence known to us now as we look at these words. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that your spirit would work in our hearts to help us to see you more clearly and to understand a little bit more what it means to worship you. Father, we pray that as we look at this passage, we would be changed, that we would become worshipers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I would argue that there's a big difference between doing something on your way and going out of your way to do something, Right? There's a difference between doing something on the way and going way out of your way to do something. When, when you do something on the way, it's convenient. It's easy. You know? it, it, and when you go out of your way to do something or to see something, it, it, it's, it's inconvenient. It's hard. It costs you something, right? And it says something about the thing that you're going to see, right? It says that that thing is important, that you care about that thing. 
Um, so in the last couple months, Kim and I went to Phoenix to visit our son Silas, who's going, who goes to Grand Canyon University. You would think by the name Grand Canyon, it would be like set in the midst of the Grand Canyon, but it's not. It's actually in Phoenix, which is three and a half hours from the Grand Canyon. And yet Kim really wanted to see the Grand Canyon. And so like when she first suggested it, I was like, that's, you know, we're only going for a few days. That's like a three and a half hour drive. It's going to be a lot of, you know, time and work and it's going to be tiring. But we went and saw the Grand Canyon. We drove because, because it was important to Kim and because Kim is important to me, we went to the Grand Canyon. We went out of our way to go see it, right? It communicates how important those things are. Um, I was a little offended, a little hurt once when, uh, it was a long time ago, but I saw on Facebook that some old friends of ours had traveled through New Jersey, and they didn't stop to see us. And uh, I was like, why, why didn't you stop to see? You were in New Jersey, you know? And then it made it even worse, because later I found out that they drove on Route 80, which is like two minutes from our house. You can, you know, we're two minutes off of Route 80. And it was totally on their way, and yet they're like, when I, when I, I like mentioned, I was like, why didn't you come see us? You know, they're like, well, it wasn't quite on our way. I was like, not on your way. We were like two minutes off the highway, you know? So, like, we obviously weren't important enough to them, right, to stop and see us. They didn't care enough to, to really even just take two minutes out of their way, even though it seemed like it was totally on their way. Jeez, um, I'm, I'm still working at getting over it. There's a big difference between going, you know, out of your way to see something and just kind of like going on your way. Um, at, the, at the beginning of the book of Matthew, we have this account of these guys, these wise men, who go out of their way, way out of their way, so that they can see this child. Not just so they can see him, so they can worship him. They go way out of their way. He's not on their way to something else. They, this is specifically, this trip is primarily only about going to see Jesus, right? And... Uh, Basically, at this point, you know, um, Jesus is likely a toddler. Um, this isn't a lot of, you know, nativity scenes show the wise men there at the manger. But, but because of what we find out later that Herod um, decides to have all the children under age of three killed in Bethlehem, um, because of the way the stars are, because of the trip of the wise men, it, it's very likely that Jesus was one or two years old, right? And so they go way out of their way to see Jesus and to worship him. And if nothing else, this, I think this passage is about worship. And, that, and I think that's what one thing that, that characterizes what real worship is. I mean, worship, if nothing else, is, is telling someone that they are important, right? It's, it's honoring them. It's paying attention to them. It's giving them praise and honor that they deserve because they are important. And so if nothing else, worship is, is about going out of our way to do that. And yet for a lot of us, when it comes to worshiping God, we tend to just do it on the way to other things. We do it as it's easy. We do it as it's convenient. You know, if we don't have something else important to do on Sunday morning, we come. You know, if, if something else isn't forcing us to think about God, we just kind of continue plowing on. We don't go out of our way to think about him, to honor him, to tell him and to, to tell others that he is important. So that's, that's one thing that this passage tells us about what worship is. Worship is about going out of our way to tell God that he's important, to tell Jesus that he's important. Um, but 
as you look at this passage, I, I think um, what I've been saying over the last couple of weeks is, is Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience primarily, right? And so one of the things that he does here, he, he continues doing what he has been doing. All along he's been saying, you know, this child Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. He is the son of David. He is the one that has promised to David to, to sit on his throne and to reign as king forever and to give peace to his people, to give stability and security and life to his people. So that's one of the things this passage does because it, it talks about these foreigners coming and saying, where is the king of the Jews, right? Where is the king of the Jews? But I think another thing that this passage is about, as I've said, is it's all about worship. worship the word worship is mentioned three times here, Right? First, they say where they come in order to worship. And then Herod responds, well, tell him where he is when you find him so that I can go and worship. And then when they finally find him, it says that they bow down and they worship. So if nothing else, this, this passage is also all about worship, teaching us what worship is about. Okay? And so I want to talk a little bit about what, what this passage, what the wise men teach us about worship. And, and I want to answer four questions. You know, the why of worship, the what of worship, the where of worship, and the who of worship, okay? Four W's. Why, what, where, and who. Um, okay, so start, let's start with the why. Why do the wise men worship this child? Why should we worship Jesus? Well, for a lot of us, I think it's, it's easy to worship Jesus or to worship God because he does things for us. When he does something great, when he provides for us, when he, when he gives us, you know, provides a new job for us or, or helps us get a good grade on a test or he provides a new relationship for us that gives us a lot of joy. It's, it's easy to be, oh God, you're so great, thank you. Um, or maybe when we buy a new house and move into it. It's easy to praise God and to say thank you. But, but think about it. Why, why do the wise men come and worship Jesus? As I said, Jesus is a toddler. What has he done for them at this point? They're foreigners. They, this is the king of the Jews, right? They, they come, they travel all this distance. They travel months in order to find him. What has he done? Nothing. He has done nothing for them. They simply come to worship him because he is the king of the Jews. They have ascertained because of the stars, their study of the stars and other literature. Maybe they have some, some of like Daniel's writings back when he was in Babylon. And they've ascertained this is the child who would be born king of the Jews. They come to worship him simply because of who he is. That's it. Not because of what he's done. And that's what I want to point out first. You know, the application for us is simple. Jesus deserves our worship, not because of what he has done, although he's done many incredible things, but simply because of who he is. He deserves our worship. He is the one through whom all things were created. He is the one who sustains all things. He is the one for whom everything was created. He is the one who has existed before anything else. He depends on nothing. He needs no one. He is stronger than anyone else. He is wiser than anyone else. He is more just than anyone else. He is more loving than anyone else. In and of himself, he deserves our worship. He deserves us going out of our way to tell him how important he is, how incredible he is. As I said, for a lot of us, we tend to just tell him that he's important because he's done something good. 
When things are going well in our lives, it's easy to praise him. But the reality is, he never changes. And so we are called to to praise him and honor him in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, no matter what is going on in our lives. When things are going really well and he's doing a lot of great things for us or when it feels like he's doing nothing for us. When When we feel like our hearts are breaking because things are hard and we've lost things. He is worthy of our worship simply because of who he is and for no other reason. That is why we should worship him. Second question they answer is what? The what of worship. What should we worship God with? What should our worship look like? The wise men make this trip for the sole purpose of worshiping Jesus, right? That's what they say. And they finally arrive, and what is it that they do? What do they do? Verse 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So the very first thing they do is they fall down before him, this little toddler. What does that signify? Well, you know, when you fall down before a person, or maybe before a king, a person you think is a king, what you're saying is, my life is yours. I surrender to you. You have absolute power over me. I surrender, right? But then what is it that, that characterizes their worship more than anything else? Well, then after they fall down, they start digging through their stuff. And they start giving him things, right? They start giving him gift after gift. They give him gold. They give him frankincense. They give him myrrh. They give him things that are, that are costly, things that are expensive, things that are, that are important to them. They give. That is what their worship looks like. It's just constant giving, giving, giving. What can we give him? What can we give him? And I think we need to get this drilled through our skulls because all of us, we tend to live lives where we're primarily concerned with what we can get, how much we can accumulate for ourselves, how comfortable we can make ourselves. And yet, he says, what worship is, it's about giving. It's about giving to God all that we are, all that we have, the things that are important to us, the things that are going to cost us something. It's about giving to him. And it's about giving to others in honor of him, right? Jesus said, the, what, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me, right? And so when we give to the people around us, it's, it's an act of an opportunity to worship God. To live lives where we are constantly thinking about, what can I give? What can I give? What can I give? And for some of us, you know, we, we do. We, we, tr- we try to find places in our lives where we can give of ourselves, where we volunteer or where we, we, we maybe donate to certain good causes and we, and we give in these certain areas. And I think that's good. But a lot of us can maybe give in these certain areas, but then the rest of our lives we're just kind of still consumed with what, what can we get. When we, when we go home and we live with our family, we're thinking about what can I get rather than what can I give. And yet... To live a life of worship of Jesus is to live a life where we, are, where we are thinking about how can I be giving to the people that are close to me? How can I be giving to the people that I work with? How can I be giving to others, friends of mine? How can I give to those people that, that I just kind of run into from time to time that I don't even really know? How can, what can I do to give of my time How can I give by listening? How can I give by by giving words of encouragement to them? How can I give by helping them? This is what worship is about. It's about giving of ourselves. It's about living a life of giving. Thinking about what can I give 
to those around me so that Jesus would be seen as important to me. That's what worship is about. The wise men also teach us something about where we should worship. They come to Jerusalem. And they come to Jerusalem, obviously, why? Because they're looking for who? The king of the Jews. Of course you would go to Jerusalem to look for the king of the Jews, right? That's where the palace is. That's the obvious place to look for the king of the Jews. That's the obvious place to go if you're going to worship, worship the king of the Jews. But, but where does the search end up taking them? The search ends up taking them, taking them to this small, out-of-the-way town called Bethlehem. This town that many people overlook. This town that, that is maybe insignificant to a lot of people, right? And the point is this, that that is where they end up worshiping Jesus in this small, insignificant, seemingly insignificant place, right? Rather than in the obvious place. And again, this is this is what where we're called to worship. We're not just called to worship God in the obvious place. Where is the obvious place where we come to worship? It's here. Right? Sunday morning, showing up at church. This is where we think of when we if we ever think of worship at all. This is what we obviously think of. And yet, what I think this points us to is that that is not the only place we are called to worship. We're also called to worship Jesus in all of the Bethlehems of our lives, all of the little small insignificant places of our lives as well, not just the obvious places. That the moments that you have when you're folding laundry are just as good of an opportunity to worship him and tell him that he's important as standing here and singing joy to the world. You know, when you're helping your kids tie their shoes, when you're making dinner, when you're sitting at, at, at a desk quietly, working at a computer, or in a business meeting with somebody, all of these little cracks and crevices of your life that you might normally overlook as being relevant to Jesus are totally relevant to him. Because he's present in all of those places. You know, the presence of Jesus, Bethlehem is a small, out-of-the-way town, but, but it becomes incredibly significant because Jesus is there, right? That's the, the verse that they quote from Micah in verse 6. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The presence of Jesus fills the, this insignificant town with meaning and importance and significance. And so in the same way, all of those little places in your life that you don't normally think about as being that important are incredibly important and meaningful if you turn your attention to Jesus in the midst of them. That is where we're called to worship. And finally, the last thing I want us to help think about is, is who, the who of worship. And not who we are worshiping, but who gets to worship. Think about Matthew, what Matthew is trying to say about including this account of Jesus here, right? As I've said before, hopefully you've heard me say it multiple times, Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience, okay? And we know that because over and over again, he says, this is how the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. You're going to see it over and over and over again in the book of Matthew. Remember those verses that you guys used to read? Well, this is how it was fulfilled in this person right here. Matthew's constantly, he's directing this, this, these words to Jew, a Jewish audience. And yet, as he gets going in his narrative about Jesus, who is highlighted here, right here at the very beginning? Who is highlighted? Who are the people who are kind of 
shown to be the, the, the stars here in, in early on in the book of, of Matthew. The Magi. They're the ones who are seeking Jesus. Who are they? Who are these wise men? Well, they're not Jewish. They're foreigners. And from, from, a, from a, an Israelite's perspective, these people are unclean. These people are unworthy. They don't deserve to bow at the foot of the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews is the king of the Jews. He's not the king of the, you know, the nations, and yet this is what Matthew's trying to point out right here at the beginning. Yes, he is. That's exactly who he is. He has come for all people. And particularly, he's come for those who who we would see as unclean and unworthy. He has come for sinners. That is who he has come for. That is who gets to worship. These dirty foreigners come, and Jesus has come for them. That is why Jesus has come. To live and to die for these people. For those who would would embrace their unworthiness. And that is who he calls to worship him. That is who he calls to worship him. Those of us who know that we are not worthy. Those of us who know that the only way we can come into his presence is because of his grace for us. And his kindness and his compassion and his mercy. That is who gets to worship. And, and what I see here in this passage is that, is that there's one requirement. There's one requirement for those who would worship the, G, the, the King Jesus. And, and I would say it's, you, you see it in verse 10. I love verse 10. The one requirement that Jesus has for those who would worship him and come into his presence and know him is that they would count on him to bring them joy. That they would look to find their joy in him. Right? What do the, what do the wise men do when they, when they figure out that this is where the king of the Jews is? This is where the one, this is where the one that they've been searching for is. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love this verse because, you know, Matthew could have just said, when they saw the star, when they saw the place where Jesus was, they rejoiced. He could have just said that. But he didn't. You realize that. He didn't stop by just saying they rejoiced. He said, they rejoiced with joy. (laughs) But that's not what he says either. Right? He goes beyond that. He says, they rejoiced with great joy. Well, that's not quite right either. He like, goes way beyond what he needs to say, and he says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. He didn't have to use all those extra words to say how joyful they were, but he wanted to communicate that they were bursting. They couldn't contain themselves because of the joy that they were feeling because they had found what they were looking for. That's the requirement. Say, Jesus, you're the only one that's going to give me the joy that I need. And you're the only one that's going to give me a joy that I cannot comprehend, a joy that's inexhaustible, a joy that's greater than I can even imagine. That's the requirement. You want joy? Then you've got to 
seek Jesus and worship him. You've got to go out of your way to worship him. That's how you find a joy that you cannot even imagine right now, is by going out of your way, by inconveniencing yourself to worship him, to tell him that he's important, to give of yourself to tell him that he's important. And this is where I want to leave us. When it comes to going out of your way to seek something, Jesus does not disappoint. And I've said that before, but I, I can't say it enough because I think we can, we can you know, say, yes, joy comes from Jesus, but we're not really going to experience that unless we're willing to sacrifice and go out of our way to pin all of our hopes on him and to give him attention and honor and love in every little tiny corner of our lives. He doesn't disappoint. He doesn't disappoint. If you are willing to go out of your way to seek him, he won't disappoint you. I remember when I was in eighth grade, we lived in England. I've talked about this before, not this specific thing, but I talked about the fact we lived in England. So we lived in England for a couple of years. And uh, while we were there, we went and did a lot of sightseeing in England and in Europe, which was awesome, although I couldn't appreciate it because I was just like a, a grumpy teenager, you know? But I don't think this really had bearing on this one incident because, um, you know, I'd always heard about Stonehenge. You guys all know what Stonehenge is, right? This really mysterious kind of formation of giant stones. You know, how did these things get there? Why are they arranged like they are? And I remember one time we, we took a trip. We, um, we got in the car and we drove for what seemed like an eternity. And we stopped in, this, in the middle of nowhere in the country. And we had to park and then we had to walk up this hill. It was a long walk up this grassy hill. And then we got to this place where there's this little gravel kind of pathway and, and a little rope barrier. And then we stood there behind the rope barrier, and we looked up, and there it was. And I was just like, why did we walk up this hill? <laughs> why? Why did we walk up this hill? Why did we drive here? You know, to be fair, we might have been stopping there on the way to somewhere else. <laughs> and still it wasn't worth it. My dad might disagree. You can ask him later. But it wasn't worth it. It was just a bunch of rocks, you know? It was disappointing. This is the thing. Jesus will not disappoint you no matter how far out of the way you go. No matter how much effort you take to make sure you are giving him attention in every little tiny corner of your life, in the small and significant things, he doesn't disappoint. He won't disappoint you. Do you want joy? Do you want it? You're not going to get it just stopping to see Jesus on the way to other things. You need to seek all of your joy in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. The gift of the one who gives us the joy that we were made for. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to seek him, to worship him, 
to think about how we can give and how we can give more to demonstrate that he is important and that we care and that he matters to us that we might find out what joy is really about. The joy that only you can give us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity.